Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Buka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome along to episode 69 of Fireside. No jokes please. <clears throat> Beg your pardon, that cough was not intentional there. No jokes we shall be having about the number 69. We are uh, we are storytellers, we are people of folklore, we are above such uh, such jibes and such jokes. You're very welcome along to the fourth, is it the third or the fourth episode that I've recorded in isolation, in quarantine, during the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic here in Ireland and indeed around the entire world. Um, as I record this episode, it has been extended uh, until the 5th of May now in Ireland in terms of how long it is before we're allowed to leave our houses. And it's an incredibly uncertain time. And the longer it goes on, the more the more concerning it gets, the the more it spreads and the more people are having loved ones die and the closer it does get to home I still consider myself incredibly fortunate that I've been able to isolate in my home of Wicklow Town out in the countryside I'm still able to uh, get a huge amount of my own work done and I have the sea right beside me and a lot of countryside beside me that I can do a lot of walks and go for swims in the still freezing sea but I like anyone I'm having good days and bad days and taking it one day at a time. Uh, today, as it happened, was a very, very bad day, probably. The worst day I've had so far, and for no particular reason. We're all just trying to get on with our. Some of us are fortunate to still be lucky, working, some of us are not. Um, I'm not really, but I've been able to do a lot of my own work, and obviously I get to keep working on this podcast, which is an incredible joy and I'm very honoured to be able to keep doing it and to have the equipment to keep doing it and to have the people there to put it out for me in the form of Headstuff and Jamie, my producer. And of course, in in I have it because of you, the listener, who still wish to listen to this podcast each and every week. And so as long as this virus and this pandemic lasts, I will keep cracking out these podcasts from home until we are all able to return to work and I'm able to return to the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio in Dublin. And as I have been saying, if you are listening to this in a few months' time, I hope that this is all a distant memory, um, that we are all back to normal and that you are listening to this podcast next, in a few months or in a few years and thinking, God, do you remember that? But I hope that you are all well and safe and healthy wherever you are. Um, I want to have a quick 
uh, personal thank out, uh, thank out, a shout out, and a thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. Um, the support on Patreon has never felt more crucial to artists, and it has never been more important as podcast. I've always put a shout out at the beginning, but I haven't really put a huge push on the Patreon because it's such a competitive game. And I really didn't know what to elevate it. And I never really wanted to put too much pressure on it. But over the last couple of weeks, I have done a bit more of a push. And a few of you have really responded. So thank you very much. The The Patreon is still in its infancy, very much so. Um, but, I'm, but I now have a, f- a good few devoted followers, which is great. And this week, uh, I would like to thank... Cassie Young, Philip Kyo, and Brian McGlynn, who are this week's latest patrons. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for your messages as well, those of you that reached out and messaged me. It is incredibly appreciated. If you do want to join the ranks of the patrons of Fireside, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast, where you can give a monthly donation of $1, $2, $10, whatever you want, great or small, every amount is appreciated. If you don't, that is absolutely okay as well. It is a great joy to me that I get to re- write and release this podcast and then it get, gets to go all around the world for free. And the only reason it goes around the world for free is that people can listen to it for free. So that is the trade-off there. And I get so much out of recording and so much out of writing this podcast and I get so much out of the fact that it is listened to so many places around the world so thank you for that if you do want to if you do enjoy the podcast though and you want to contact me um, I do advise following me on Instagram at Fireside Bard all one word that's the best place to message me if you're not uh, one of the patrons if if you are then uh, I'm starting to get better with the messages on Patreon as well which is another outlet which is great Um, but I'm going to not get to I've had quite long intros it's already been a few minutes I'm going to get right down to the story <clears throat> It is a, I'm in a strange position at the moment. It's great. I, this is my second episode of using my new Rode NT1A microphone. Um, I'm sitting here, it's night on the Monday. This will come out in two days time. I'm sitting here with my new microphone, which is incredibly sensitive and beautiful. And I'm sitting here with my hands free. I'm sitting in my pajamas right now with a hot cup of ginger tea in a Doctor Who mug. So how's that for an image for you now? This is a very different recording environment in general. And this is a particularly different environment to what I would normally be doing. But there's the picture for you of what I am recording right now. So this is a story very happily, which I've titled The Deaths of Kings and Queens. Because as we're coming to the end of the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology, this story, um, this is a series of stories. The Ulster cycle has for the most part been really well been really well parted and separated into individual stories or with the case of the Tawn, individual chapters but as we wind it down there's not going to be a total wrapping up everything in a neat little bow um so this story was four or five different stories that i put together into one episode tying up a lot of loose ends that otherwise i don't think would have been in any of the main stories and wrapping up a lot of the stories of some of these major characters that have made up the cycle of the uh, Ulster mythology the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology rather 
And this is so these are the stories of of Kunkabar Magnassa, of Queen Maeve, King Alil, Fergus McRoke, uh, Connell Kiernock, all of these big players we've met over the past couple of weeks and months. Other than Cucullin, you know, it's very easy to just think of Cucullin when you think of the Ulster cycle. But these are very much Conquer Magnessa is really what we started with, so it seems very fitting that towards the end we wrap up with him before we return to our main hero, Cucullin. So I'm gonna get down to it and we'll talk a bit more afterwards, but I hope you enjoy the deaths of kings and queens on Fireside. The Deaths of Kings and Queens Anton Bokuna, the cattle raid of Cooley, had been the bloodiest war that had ever taken place on the island of Era. And when the final sword was sheathed, it was the Red Branch Knights of Ulster who were victorious. But it did not feel like much of a victory for Ulster King Conkabar Magnassa. The end of the Thorn never sat well with him. Four provinces of Era had risen up against Ulster with zero consequences. And worst of all, neither Queen Maeve nor King Alil of Connacht, the two instigators of the entire war, had been killed. They had come to Ulster to steal Duncuna, the brown bull of Cooley, and while Conkabar and the Red Branch Knights were engaged in the final battle, Queen Maeve had found Duncuna and successfully got what she came to Ulster for. The injustice of this kept Conkabar Magnassa awake at night for months after the conflict had ended. One winter's day, Conkabar became ill. He had lost so much appetite and sleep in his lust for vengeance, it was beginning to take its toll on his health. Conkabar was a warrior king, but he was now an old man and neither druid nor healer could figure out exactly how to heal the king. But Conkobar knew himself. He told his court at Emenmacha, The only thing that will cure my illness is war with Connacht. I will not be well again until the heads of Queen Maeve and King Alil are raised high on the towers of Emenmacha. Cothbud the long-time druid and adviser to the King of Ulster, tried to counsel the fevered Conkobar. Marie, he said, our armies have not yet recovered from the slaughter of the Thorn. We are too few in number to attack Connacht. And now the winter has come. We would be foolish to leave Eamonmacha. I implore you to wait at least until the spring comes and then make your final decision. Cothbot had hoped that if Conkobar waited until the springtime, his illness would begin to lift and he would forget the notion of war with Connacht. But no such luck. No sooner had the king agreed to wait for springtime than he began to plan the attack. Cothbot was right in saying Ulster's numbers were down since the dawn, so Conkobar enlisted Connell Kernock, the great and mighty warrior who had recently been disgraced when he had lost his right to the champion's portion of feasts to the Hound of Ulster himself, Cúcullin. To Connell Kiernock, Conkobar offered a chance at redemption. Connell had escaped to the Scottish Highlands following the trials for the champion's portion. Conkobar sent word asking Connell to raise an army of foreign soldiers and bring them home to Ulster. 
Colonel Cairnock was overjoyed at this chance of redemption, and not only raised an army of Scottish warriors, but from the Faroe Islands and Scandinavia. With his new horde of Celtic and Nordic brutes, Colonel Cairnock sailed home to Ulster, ready for a fight. Word rapidly spread of the mobilisation of Ulster's armies. With an uncomfortable feeling of deja vu, the other provinces began to rally their own troops. At Cruachan in Connacht, the fort of Queen Maeve and King Alil, they were given word of the impending war by a Munster king, Yoku Maclochta. Alil and Maeve were beyond blessed by the gods to have survived the dawn. They had been stalked night and day by Cúchulainn, who had fired slingshot after slingshot at each of their heads and had not hit either of them, and Cúchulainn was not one who often missed. Maeve in particular had come face to face with Cúchulainn when she was in the most vulnerable position of relieving herself there on the Ulster Plain, and Cúchulainn had refused to kill her under such conditions and had allowed her to leave and not being too grateful for her life, Maeve had still managed to claim Duncuna and bring him home to Connacht. Now the war was over, and Duncuna and Finn Bannock, the white-horned bull of Connacht, were both dead, having gored each other. But with both bulls dead, Maeve and Alil were once again equal, and more importantly, alive. Nevertheless, when Queen Maeve heard that Conchobar wanted to invade Connacht, she declared, Let Conchobar come to Cruachan. He thinks he won the war, but we got the bull. And if he is not content with that, let him come, and I will personally put an end to the mighty King of Ulster. But then spoke Fergus MacRoke, the exiled Ulster king who had fought for Connacht and following the end of the Thorn, had returned to Connacht with Alil and Maeve. As much as Fergus disagreed with Conchobar and knew he could never return to his beloved homeland of Ulster until the current king was dead, Fergus had loathed taking up arms against his fellow Ulstermen. But he had taken up arms and shed Ulster blood. Neither Alil nor Maeve could ever doubt his loyalty. So Fergus offered counsel. You did win the bull, Maeve. But Ulster, as one province, fought off the advances of four others. And now they march on Connacht, and we do not have the allies we once had. If the Red Branch comes to Cruachan, I fear it will be your deaths and not the King of Ulster's. King Alil hated agreeing with Fergus, because during the Thorn, to ensure his loyalty, Maeve had taken Fergus as her lover, so you can imagine how delighted Alil was that Fergus was still living in their home. But as much as he hated it, he knew Fergus was right. They could not fight Ulster and win. Fergus is right, my love. We must at least try and sue for peace. The words sue for peace were not in Queen Maeve's vocabulary, but reluctantly she agreed to spare her people further bloodshed, her people who had so loyally followed her into battle and when all she wanted to steal was a cow. A peace treaty was written and sent to Conchobar MacNassa in Ulster. Conchobar refused to accept. 
The king's health had much improved since he began planning this war, and he declared, I will not rest until I can pitch a tent anywhere on this island. So Kunkabar was asked where he wanted to pitch his tent that night, and the king took out a map of Era, closed his eyes, and landed his finger right on a place called Rosnari on the river Boyne. And so, the Red Branch Knights set out for the kingdom of Meath, but they wouldn't do much camping. Waiting for Kunkabar and the Red Branch Knights at Rosnari were the armies of Meath and the mighty Galoyan of Leinster. They were led by two brothers, Find Macrossa, king of the Galoyan, and Carpra Neafer, the king of Tara. Carpra was also Kunkabar's son-in-law, as he was married to the Ulster king's daughter, Faitham. But their family association meant little when Kunkabar chose to march his army onto the lands of Meath, and the Battle of Rosnari began. The battle initially went incredibly poorly for the Red Branch Knights. They were the greatest fighters in Era, but the Tawn had been so recent, and they had not yet recovered. Also, in the Tawn, they were fighting on their homeland against invaders. They were not just fighting for Kunkabar, they were fighting for their province. Moreover, they were fighting for Ku Cullen. Speaking of the Hound of Ulster, he had been at home with his wife Emer when his uncle Kunkabar had taken it upon himself to invade Meath. Ku Cullen said to Emer, I better go and put an end to this. I can't fight another war single-handed. But at Rosnari, it looked like Ulster may not last until Ku Cullen's arrival. Their defeat seemed imminent. When who arrived on the battlefield? Not Ku Cullen, but Connell Cairnock and his army of Scandinavian, Faroe and Scottish warriors. They gave the Red Branch Knights a burst of courage, mostly because they were all terrified of being branded a coward by Connell Cairnock, and they began to rout the Galoyan and Meath armies. Connell Cairnock killed over a thousand men that day. Cuchulain finally arrived on the battlefield in time to see the tide turned. He smiled at his fellow Ulstermen. Well, I can't fight every battle for them, he said to himself. Cuchulain sought to deal the final blow of the fight, so he sought out the king of Tara, Carpra Neafir. Carpra had already killed 800 during the battle, and once the Hound of Ulster laid eyes on him, he took his spear, cast it at the king of Tara, and Carpra Neafir's decapitated head hit the ground before his own body. The Galoyan fled once the king of Tara was dead, and Ulster declared themselves the victors of the Battle of Rosnari. Carpra Neafir's son, Urk, was made King of Tara, and as Kungabar's own grandson, he swore fealty to the Ulster King. Having secured his victory at Rosnari, Kungabar MacNessa then turned his sights west towards Cruachan and his enemies, Maeve and Alil. But the Connacht Queen had her own plan. Conal Cairnock had killed Miskegra, the king of Leinster, and had taken as a trophy his brain. The brain was petrified and given as a gift to Kunkabar. However, 
Before he died, Miskegara had sworn that he would have his own revenge. And Maeve sent the Connacht warrior, Ket MacMagoc, to steal the calcified brain from Kunkabar. Ket succeeded, and using his slingshot from a distant vantage point, launched the brain ball at Kunkabar MacNessa, lodging the second brain in the Ulster King's head. Kunkabar survived this attack, somehow, and his druids set to work trying to remove the petrified brain. They informed the king that to do so would be to kill him, but that Kunkabar would survive as long as he didn't get overexcited or exerted. This quickly put to bed Kunkabar's plans to attack Connacht, and the king eventually succumbed to the wound. There is a story that says Kunkabar lived for seven years with the calcified brain in his skull, and it was only when he was told of the death of Jesus Christ that the brain burst from his skull. But that's obviously just been added by those pesky Christian scribes. Regardless of his final moments, King Conquabar MacNassa, the king whose mother had won his throne by cunning, who had challenged Macha of the Morrigan to a chariot race and caused the pangs of Ulster, who had fallen for the beautiful Deirdre and caused her sorrow by slaughtering the sons of Ishnach, leading Deirdre to take her own life. The same king who had raised Cú Cullen as his nephew, foster son and the greatest warrior, who he had watched single-handedly defend Ulster from the attacking armies of Era, Conquabar, who had overcome the birth pangs and finally led Ulster to victory and ended the taunt. There were highs and there were many lows. It was a mixed bag of a rule. But finally, King Conquabar MacNassa, the most legendary of Ulster kings, was dead. When Conquabar had died, Conal Kiernach left Emin Maca in search of the one who had caused the death of his beloved king, Ket MacMagoc. Conal tracked Ket down and at the ford challenged him to single combat. They were well matched, and Conal Kiernach had a rare fear in him, but Conal was fighting to avenge his king, and dealt the final blow, killing Ket MacMagoc there at the ford. This fight left Conal Kiernach close to death himself, but Eamon Macha did not feel like his home anymore. Where would he now go to serve, to fight, and to satiate his monstrous appetite. Conal Kernock went to the only place he could think of that could suit those needs, Cruachan. Conal went to Maeve and Alil. In Connacht, when Alil and Maeve heard of the death of Conquabar MacNassa, an overwhelming sense of relief descended on them both, as much as neither of them would have liked to admit or show it but the king and queen were careful to not appear too happy about the news. But there was still the matter of the large group of exiled Ulster warriors they were playing host to. At this point, Fergus MacRoke had been in exile just over 14 years. When he heard of Kunkabar's death, he mourned the loss of his former king and lamented that they had never made their peace. But Fergus also knew that as much as he and Conquabar had fought, they had always respected each other. But now, who would inherit the throne? 
Fergus thought that perhaps as he had been the king before Concobar, it might be him. But Ulster chose for their king, Concobar's own son, Cormac. Cormac was also in exile with Fergus in Connacht, as he had been fostered to Fergus when he was young. To Ulster, Cormac was an elegant solution. Continue the line of their great king with a fresh start and finally establish peace with Connacht. Cormac thanked Queen Maeve and King Alil for their extended hospitality and promised that Ulster would now always be a friend to Connacht. The incumbent king left Cruachan, which had been his home for 14 years, and set off for Eamon Macha, his birthright. However, as Cormac crossed the border into Ulster, he came across a Connacht raiding party ravaging a small village. Cormac thought to himself, I know those men, but I'm Ulster's king now. I'd better start acting like it. Cormac drew his sword and attacked the Connacht men, killing all but one. He then rested in that village for the night. Word quickly got back to Eamon Maka about what had happened. With little concern of the consequences, Maeve sent part of her army to hunt Cormac down. Maeve tried to keep this from Fergus, who did eventually find out. Fergus attempted to ride to his foster son's aid, but by the time he reached the village of Ulster, Cormac was already dead. Fergus felt responsible for Cormac, and angry at Queen Maeve for sanctioning his death. But Fergus also had to admit that Ulster would never be his home again, as much as he pined for it. Connacht had been his home for 14 years. He had now fought a war for Connacht, and he was also in love with Queen Maeve. Something he would never admit, especially not to her. So Fergus MacRoke returned to Cruachan, never again to return home to Ulster. King Alil had always prided himself on his trusting relationship with his wife, Maeve would often offer the friendship of her thighs to get mighty warriors to fight for her. But Alil understood. That was war. But Fergus was different. They saw Fergus every day. He had led their armies in the Thorn. And when Maeve took Fergus on as her lover, it began to eat away at her husband. It would have been fine if Fergus had died in the fighting. But there he was still living in Cruachan with his other Ulster exiles. It became too much for Alil to bear. One day, after the death of Cormac, and Fergus had returned to Cruachan, he and Maeve went out to a lake swimming. Alil followed them. From a nearby hill, the King of Connacht watched as his wife swam naked with another man, and enough was enough. Alil had a brother who was blind, he took his brother Louis to the lake and told him, Brother, there are deer playing in the lake. Take this spear and cast it, so that even without sight you may know the joy of the hunt. Louis did as his brother asked, and cast the spear towards the lake, striking Fergus MacRoke in the chest. Fergus managed to pull it out and cast it back towards where it came, but there, in the waters by Cruachan, in the arms of the woman he loved, Fergus MacRoke died. 
Queen Maeve's fury overcame any sadness at the death of Fergus, who had been her closest ally these fourteen years. And she was too smart to believe the whole it-was-my-blind-brother story. Maeve knew Alil was responsible. He would never have just come out and said he had a problem, and wouldn't even do his own dirty work. The last of Queen Maeve's love for her husband died with Fergus MacRoke. It's at this time when who arrives at Cuohon but Cunnell Kiernock. The Ulster man had come to serve Fergus MacRoke and by extension Queen Maeve herself. Maeve tells of the death of Fergus and tells Cunnell, If you want to avenge Fergus and prove your loyalty to me, avenge his death. Cunnell Kiernock was all too happy to kill the man who he had wanted to kill during the thorn, and crept into Alil's room that night while the King of Connacht was having a bath, and killed him there in the waters. Just as he had done to Fergus MacRoke. But the guards were alerted, and Queen Maeve would have been powerless to stop the forces of Connacht from avenging their own king. Cunnell Kiernock was hunted down and killed. And as for Maeve, a lifetime of blood, war and retribution would finally catch up to the Queen of Connacht in the form of her own nephew, Forbaith Forbend. Forbaith was the son of Maeve's own sister and Ulster King Conchobar MacNassa. Maeve had killed her own sister years before this and Forbaith had always sworn revenge. With the death of his father, Forbaith went in pursuit of Maeve. He found the Queen on the Isle of Inchclaren in Loch Ray on the River Shannon. Taking his slingshot, Forbaith took the closest thing to hand, which just so happened to be a block of cheese, and finally succeeded in doing what not even Cú Cullen could. Forbaith Forbend killed Queen Maeve of Connacht. Maeve was buried in a 40-foot stone cairn on the top of Nochnaree in what is now County Sligo. She was said to be buried standing up, always facing her enemies of Ulster. And so came the end of three kings and one queen, the greatest queen Connacht had ever known, Queen Maeve. To be continued. And there we have the end of, my God, the story of the deaths of kings and queens on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. That is the very longest episode there's been for a while, but there was a lot to wrap up there. There was a lot to get through. I hope it was clear. I hope, you know, there's the problem with a lot of these myths sometimes is when it gets to a lot of named characters that only appear once and then go away, it can make it all seem very convoluted. I know that's certainly a problem I've had when adapting these stories and when I've hoped that my versions at the very least, even if mine aren't as written well as well as some adaptations, that they're at least streamlined and as clear as water, as Philip Pullman says, that I've always liked to make the the motto of this podcast. Um but this was not a clear story. This was several different stories and several different sources from each of them. But I thought that it all they were all such short chapters that it was better off doing it as one 
piece, certainly of the debts of Cungobar and Maeve, and then of my association, the debts of Alil and Fergus. But what's, what kind of naturally happened, which I quite liked, is that the one thing that actually unites them all, that makes a through line to the entire story, is Connell Kernock, who featured so prominently in the last story of the champion's portion and very much is the through line here he fights with Kunkabar at the beginning of the story and he goes to Connacht to fight for Fergus Fergus is already dead and he's the one who kills Alil that I have to say his killing of Alil, Alil on the bath that is my own touch um, which is supposed to emulate how uh, how Commodus, how Emperor Commodus of ancient Rome was murdered in his own bath, not in the gladiator arena as the film Gladiator would have you believe he was murdered in the bath by a gladiator whose name escapes me and that will kill me until I figure out who killed Commodus. Narcissus, that's his name, Narcissus, the gladiator. But I thought that seemed like an appropriate end to Alil. And yes, the end of Queen Maeve there with the block of cheese, which was considered, the block of cheese was considered an element that was used to mock her death, to suggest that it was with block of cheese. I don't really consider it as that much. It's an absurd, silly ending, but Irish mythology is often absurd and silly. And I always like to embrace that aspect of it rather than sanitize it. And that's what I think makes it more unique. I don't know of anyone being killed by a block of cheese in any Greek or Norse mythology. Do you know what I mean? But after I got to the death of Kunkabar there, I was nearly going to split it automatically there, which I hadn't intended to do. But then I decided, no, I'll plow on. This will be a long episode, but well worth doing. And I hope there was a nice through line and you did. Um, you did enjoy it. I'm sure there'd be plenty to talk about with it. Um, and anyone who has any questions on it, you can, of course, message me at Fireside Bard on Instagram or through the Patreon. Um, but I better wrap things up now because this is already quite a long episode that will hopefully be shorted when it's edited down and there isn't the mistakes. Um, oh yes, and I've just got a warning about low battery, so I'll take that as the sign. So I hope you're safe, well, and as you are, and you and your loved ones are wherever you are. Thank you so much for your continued support of this podcast. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave reviews, ratings. Follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Subscribe to the Patreon.com. Wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the Fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.